Welcome to Fresh from the Field Fridays by the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on supply trends, category updates, brand awareness, and what's hot in the market. Join us each week from San Francisco Bay, California, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Dan, the Produce Man. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh from the Field Fridays on this lovely, lovely Friday here in the San Francisco Bay. Today's Fresh from the Field Fridays is brought to you by the Produce Industry Podcast and sponsored by Buck, Naked Onions, Equifruit, the only banana you should buy, Sunrays, Snack with Impact. Yes, folks, Dan the Produce Man here today, and we're going to talk about the most popular bean in the United States. Is it the lima bean? Is it the green bean? Is it the canned pork and beans? Well, we're going to find out because Matt McKee is here with us, and he is proprietor of Bicycle Coffee. Bicycle Coffee is located right on the Oakland Wholesale Produce Market, and They roast the coffee here. We're sitting right across from these big bins of these green coffee beans waiting to get roasted. So that's it. That's the bean. That's America's most popular bean. Matt, welcome to Fresh from the Field Fridays. Thank you. Well, okay. The most popular bean. Coffee. Um, Yeah, well, you don't eat it. Well, I guess you could eat them. I've I've eaten roasted coffee beans, chocolate-coated and... you know, raspberry coated or whatever here and there. So I guess you can eat them. But Matt, you're an expert roaster. I see all these burlap sacks of coffee in these cool, this cool roasting facility. And we're sitting right in it, folks. So if it sounds a little funky, I'm using the live remote <laughs> microphones that I usually use for videos. So bear with us on that. But Matt, Tell us, tell us about coffee. How do you select your beans? Where, I mean, do you source them from all over the place? Yeah, so we get a lot of coffee from Central America. That's kind of where we got our start and learned about coffee. And I just like the, a lot of the tastes of the coffees that come from Central America, places like Guatemala and Panama, even parts of Mexico. But we also get a lot of coffee from Ethiopia. Oh, the way coffee is processed affects its flavor, the places it's grown, the altitudes. There's different varietals of coffee. All these things totally change the way the coffee tastes. There's different densities of the beans. There's different characteristics depending on where the coffee is grown. So yeah, we do, we do get coffee from different parts of the world. So I always wondered, okay, you got Colombian. That seems to be, the, or Colombia Supremo seems to be a very popular coffee and obviously the beans come from colombia i would imagine for sure okay and then there's things like french roast but where do those beans come from what kind of beans are they are they the same beans that the colombia supremo is and they're just roasted darker what it how does that all work yeah so so the roast you can roast any bean a different different uh you know level of roast it's it's not too much different than Toast, like a dark roast is, you know, toasted more, just like, like you would bread, a light roast is toasted less. Originally, all coffee 
originated in Ethiopia. Really? Yeah. So originally, that's where where the plant evolved on this planet. It came from over hundreds of years. It's been spread around to different tropical, subtropical regions in, in the world. But originally from Ethiopia, it likes old volcanoes. Ah, okay. Yeah. So this it, it grows well in ashy soil on on the side of mountains at high elevation is is like where the good coffee grows. So that's why Central America is popular. Parts of South America, of course, Africa, Indonesia, and Southeast Asia. Those those parts too. Jamaican Blue Mountain. That used to be a real big one. When I, back in the eighties, that was a really popular high end coffee. Yeah, it's still considered pretty high grade. Just you know, just like coffee uh, from parts of Hawaii. Ah, okay. But as far as uh, you know, your question about French roast, it's typically a dark roast, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the beans are from one origin or another. You can, you can. It's just the level of roasting. So like the time it spends in the roasting machine, the temperature that the beans reach when they're uh, done with the batch. So I like a very, and I brought something with me I want to show you. I like a very, very dark roast coffee, a dark Italian and a French roast. And so I've got this coffee here that I want to show you. Yeah, show me. And this comes from Motherlode. It's up in Sonora. And I want to ask you a question because a lot of times when I buy French roast beans and grind them up, they don't, they're not this color. They turn brown. Yeah, that's so, very dark. Oh, that you okay. Have right there. <laughs> okay. So is this almost burnt or what? I would say definitely some of that bean is burnt. It's, it's just like cooking anything The you know, the more you, the more you toast it, the more you roast it, the okay. more you're sort of turning the the bean into carbon. Ah, but see, I like this rich, smoky flavor. And and I and is it true that there's less caffeine in this than there would be in this dark, very dark roast that I just showed you than there is in maybe a lighter dark roast or a lighter roast coffee? Is that true that the caffeine is roasted out of it mostly? There is some truth to that. The more darker you roast it, the more you're turning it to carbon. So you're kind of burning away sugars, caffeine, different compounds. So yes, there is less caffeine the more you roast it. Eventually okay. it would just become ash if you you know roasted it through and through. Am I drinking ash here? Am I <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> okay. You know? So. But it's if you like it, you like it. Like the culinary arts is subjective. So, you know, who am I to say that you don't like something? Well what is the so in your opinion, what is the perfect Say I want a, a, a dark roast. Sure. But to you, what would be the perfect roast in a dark roast? I mean, you have yours named, so what yeah. so what do, would it be? We do a dark roast. Yeah, I buy one every time I come in, I, I get a dark roast. And our dark roast, as, as far as like if you compared it to other coffees or kind of traditional or the American coffees throughout the last century or so, um, our dark roast would be on the lighter side of dark. Okay. So when you roast coffee, there's what's called the first and second crack. And the crack is like, uh-huh. a, like a sound, kind of like popcorn. Okay. It's different. Uh, it's like the structure of the coffee bean itself, like shattering as the moisture leaves it and the temperature inside gets to a certain heat range. It fractures the bean itself. And you hear this like kind of like um, milk being poured on Rice Krispie sort of sound. Okay. You can hear it. It's subtle. And so there's the first crack. 
which nearly all roasts go through the first crack. Sometimes light roast stops during the first crack is, is when you end the batch. Okay. Medium roast completely finishes that first crack and doesn't go to the second crack. And then kind of generally what is what's defined as dark roast is when you go at least a little bit to the second crack. So our dark roast, when we pull the batch or end the batch, when the beans leave the roaster and go into the cooling tank to be cooled like immediately, because you want to capture that, that roast profile, the second crack for the dark roast is happening in our cooling tank. Oh, okay. So it doesn't While totally the heat's finish. still in it. Yeah, the heat's still in it. It's having its second crack. But like the beans you showed me that are very much dark, like the French roast, those beans most likely went nearly to the end of the second crack while yeah, they're still in the roasting. While they're still in the roaster. Okay, on your menu, you know, you could your dark roast, double crack. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't know if that would be interpreted the right way. It's double crack. <laughs> but yeah, we try to, we, you know, we, we want that, we want to satisfy the people that are looking for that dark roast. But we don't want to turn it into char- charcoal. We don't want to completely carbonize the bean. And we, we want um, some of the sugars that are caramelizing in that bean to be present so you taste the coffee itself. But I like your dark roast because I, I drink it many mornings you know, when I'm down here at the produce market. And then on lighter roasts, the first crack coffee, which I like that flavor too. I, sure. I, you know, I don't like just this, but... But I do, I do like that. So I like a lighter roast, like a Colombian Supremo. But isn't an espresso? Isn't that a lighter roast too? Well, espresso is really a, a way of making coffee. Oh, so it could be any bean. Yeah, it's like okay. say drip coffee or a French press or you know uh, a bolita or whatever. Okay, it's a it's a method of preparation. So historically, you would find darker roasted beans used to make espresso, but it doesn't have to be that way. For our espresso, we use a blend. Okay. It's a blend. It's mostly comprised of our medium roasts, but then there's some dark, darker roasts in it as well, as well as some naturally processed coffees. For our light roasts, we always use an Ethiopian bean that's naturally processed. And this is something interesting that I, I never knew before I got deep into coffee. So coffee, the seeds or the beans, they come from a cherry. It, it looks like a cherry. It's a little bit smaller than, you know, a bang or a rainer cherry that we would see. But each cherry is, is a fruit, and it even turns red when it's ripe. There's orange ones and yellow ones that become ripe. I've seen the pictures in the videos, but I've never seen it. Yeah, they're like front. cherries that grow on a, a little tree, and there's two seeds inside the cherry. And so when the cherries are picked, the seeds are separated from the pulp in what's typically referred to as a wet mill. From there, you kind of have, like, two ways to do it. You can wash the seeds, and they're typically raked out on uh, concrete beds okay. and dried in the sun. And so they're, so they're washed, the fruit juices get washed off. That's called washed coffee. But then there's also naturally processed coffee where they leave the juices from the cherry Ooh. on the bean and then let it dry. And so we use that for our light roast. And well, then, I'm yeah. gonna ask for that next time I come in. Okay. Yeah, so when you're smelling and tasting these kind of blueberry or currant notes in your coffee, it's most likely light or it's most likely uh, naturally processed coffee. Just like you turn it, turn if you roast the bean really dark, it will, you know, become carbon. If you roast the bean, a naturally processed bean dark, you'll kind of burn off some of that fruit juice. So we like to preserve that fruit juice flavor 
And so that's why we naturally process beans for our light roast. Oh, 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 oh. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited to get that one next time. And then just out of curiosity, the other process, what was the first process you said? Washed. The washed, pro- yeah. oh, wash. So they just wash it yeah, away wash it. and it goes back into the ground. Do, what- there's, there is one interesting step in the, in the washing. A lot of times, like I've, I've been to a lot of these wet mills in Central America, in, in Panama, Guatemala, places like that. They're always on the farm. So they're in, in the mountains because they don't want to transport the fresh cherries. So when, oh, they, okay. when they separate the seeds from the fruity pulp, it goes into this um, tank of water. It looks like a, you know, like a hundred year old swimming pool. And literally some of these places are like built in the 1800s. Sure. So uh, they, they let the fruit pulp and the seed sit in this water for a day, for 24 hours. Oh, okay. And what that does is it's, they call it a partial fermentation, but they say that the microbes that are just like inherent in that environment, they eat away some of the mucilage layer, which is, you know, it's like a slimy skin that's on these seeds. Sure. And it changes the, the coffee in a way too. So interesting. It's another thing. Very so, interesting. Yeah. So natural processed coffee has the fruit juices dried to it. And the washed coffee has some of this mucilage layer eaten away by the microbes. It's considered partially fermented. I wonder if there's any nutritional benefits to the fruit around the coffee bean. You can definitely eat the fruit. Um, okay. It's, it tastes good. It's sweet. It doesn't have a nice like acidy flavor. Like it's a little bit boring. It just kind of tastes like sweet cotton candy sweet, but it's, it's not bad. And it's definitely caffeinated. If you eat, (laughs) if you eat three cherries, you're, going to be feeling like you had a shot of espresso really oh that's pretty cool wow folks we're with matt mckee bicycle coffee we're right here in oakland and you know matt you're here it's you're on the produce market but you're also here because around the produce market they built all these condominiums i guess yeah condos Uh, and apartments five six story condominiums and so that you have a lot of folks and there's offices around here as well there's the ferry station oh that's true yes you have the ferry station and the train station down the street so you get a lot of action here you're always busy in the morning so it's a great place to come and this particular building uh, that you're in now because it used to be across the street it has very nice atmosphere very relaxing atmosphere your staff is always very polite uh, really enjoy dealing with them in the morning it's it's good old-fashioned customer service and i really appreciate that we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back with matt mckee from bicycle coffee and we're going to find out how matt got involved in all this because uh he's originally a produce man so maybe we'll talk a little bit about that too don't go away we'll be right back In the morning, I always pour a cup of coffee and grab a banana. Before Equifruit, I never thought twice about how my banana was farmed. And now that I'm a banana badass, I care about fair trade, which ensures fair pay, gender equity, and safe working conditions. This is why Equifruit is the only banana you should buy. I love grapes. Whoa, what's this? Dude, that's a snack with impact. Wait, what? You know, Sunrays. They are the snack with impact. All their grapes and mandarins are certified, sustainably grown, so you know the planet and people are being taken care of. And they make a donation to save the children with every package packed so kids can thrive around the world. No way. 
So every time I have Sunray's grape or mandarin, I'm making the world a better place? <laughs> Duh. That's why they call it the snack with impact. Everyone, we have an APB out on a buck naked onion. This onion is produced by Owyhee Produce, so we have to be on the lookout. Whether you're a retailer, food service distributor, or a wholesaler, this onion is whole, it's hearted, and it's buck naked, everyone. To all you civilians out there, please, let's catch this buck naked onion. It's my soul. All right, folks. Dan the Produce Man here with Matt McKee from Bicycle Coffee. This is Fresh from the Field Fridays, brought to you by the Produce Industry Podcast. And Matt, we talked about coffee. We talked about the different types of roasts and beans and really interesting story about the the fruit itself. I'd like to ask you, you know, you, you spent 10 years in fresh produce in a rather reputable and popular small local grocery chain that's gone now. Uh, you you were, worked in the produce department, you were a buyer, or what did you do? Yeah, I was a, I started as a produce clerk and then later became the buyer and manager for the produce department of Real Food on Polk Street in San Francisco. I remember that story, yes. Yeah, this was the early 2000s. I worked there for about 10 years. I lived in that neighborhood too. I really got to know my customers. We would buy a lot of produce directly from farmers in in the Bay Area, work with distributors too. But yeah, it was really fun. I learned a lot about fruits and vegetables, had a lot of friends that worked at restaurants, would cook with my friends, you know, every evening and just got to see some amazing produce that the Bay Bay Area has to offer. I'm really glad that you were able to experience that. And working for an independent chain, they were, there was like three or four of those real foods, correct? It was Yeah, I think at some point, when I first started working there, the original owners were still the owners. They would come into the office that was upstairs in the store, and I would talk to them and see the old photos and stuff. I think at one point, maybe there was four locations in San Francisco and one in Sebastopol even. Yeah, and they sold to Wild Oats, didn't they? Or Fresh Fields or one of those. they sold... Some of them to a family from Southern California that that owned a couple kind of vitamin supplement health food stores down there. And they sold some of the stores to a company called Nutraceuticals. That's out of Utah. That's right, because I used to see the trucks uh, every once in a while. Maybe maybe I didn't. Or I saw something on the produce market. Because didn't didn't Real Foods have a location, a warehouse storage place on the San Francisco produce market where they would they would pool the produce that they're getting from the market and then sort it and distribute it from there to the different there was some four stores. I, I thought I re- recall that. Um, yeah, there was some there was some uh, some of the different stores, us buyers would get together and purchase, you know, larger pallets of stuff and then parse it out for the store and the mission. Sure. The one in uh, Noe Valley and our store in Polk Street and that and then the Fillmore store was pretty close to us too. So we would some of the employees would work at both stores and we, we would work together in, in buying larger quantities in that regard. You know, a funny story about that Polk Street store is for a short period of time in nineteen ninety three, I worked around the corner, it was on Bush Street, 
Larkin Street. There was a company called Veronica's Grocery Outlet that went in there. And I would be on the receiving dock of that store because I bought all the produce for them and managed the department. And every time I went out to the receiving dock, I would smell this coffee roasting. And I said, man, that smells so good. Where is that coming from, you know? I just go nuts. So finally, one of the customers in the store, you know, we were talking about some produce and I guess coffee came up and I said, where does that smell come from? Because, oh, it's Freed Teller and Freed right around the corner. And so I said, cool. So I walked around the corner and it was on Polk Street and it was this beautiful building built in the early 1900s. Gorgeous, gorgeous building. And they were roasting coffee there. And so I bought some French roast, brought it back to the store and brewed up a pot. And I said, holy smoke, this is really good. I can't wait to get this home and, and do it through the pour over and the French press and, you know, all these other ways. And uh, it was just amazing. I loved it. And so anyway, I didn't stay at that store very long. The neighborhood was uh, very, I was tripping over dead bodies and needles and different things. And it was, it was gross back then even. But I used to go around the corner to the real foods. It was somewhere in the neighborhood. It was walking distance for me. Well, anywhere in San Francisco, pretty much walking distance. Because if you're driving, you're screwed. But, you know. (laughs) Bicycles too, yeah. Yeah, right. A lot of bicycles. Yeah. Then they they tore that building down and they built these ugly condos that look like Legos in its place. And it just broke my heart. And I was never able to find Freed Teller and Freed since then. But that ties into, that was just a little story about, because you mentioned that neighborhood and that store. So coffee, how did you get in a coffee besides, you know, drinking it? And every produce manager gets two sips and then it's cold the rest of the day. You get two sips of warm coffee in the morning, and then you're off work, and so it gets cold fast. And then the bicycle part. So let's just start with how you got into the coffee. Yeah, so so after working at Real Food, my brother, who had just finished college in San Francisco, we were sent to Central America to work on another project. Um, that project didn't end up happening. We ended up just kind of living down there for a year. We were teaching English at a small academy, just kind of exploring on our days off, taking buses all around, um, mainly Costa Rica, Panama at that time. And we ended up kind of hanging out and hiking, exploring in a lot of places where really good coffee grows. So we kind of not, that wasn't our mission, but we ended up just hiking through coffee farms, talking to coffee farmers there, drinking amazing coffee, just learning learning about the process, seeing, seeing how the coffee is harvested, how it's, you know, like I'm saying in these wet mills, how they uh, separate the seeds from the, the fruit and dry it out. We saw a lot of coffee farmers had built their own roasting machines. Wow. Okay. Very cool, very cool designs, like different than than the regular commercial machines. That so you I guess use. machine shops were, were a, a needed thing in the area too. I yeah. Guess were these, popular as well. You know, huh? these are high in the mountains. Um, nice. I had gone to college at the California College of Arts and Crafts and learned a bit about design and fabricating and had some welding skills. So I was really into just the ingenuity and the engineering creativity that these farmers had put into the machines they built. 
So we've lived in the Bay Area, my brother and I, for you know a good decade before that, and grew up in the Seattle area. So we saw the popularity of coffee and how <laughs> coffee was a solid business to be in and liked hanging out in cafes and like the social aspect of coffee houses. So we thought, why not try roasting coffee? Your first hand with it was, well, yeah, you grew up in Seattle and, and you saw all that, but then your first hand on the growing side was, was very organic, very real, very authentic right there with the growers. That, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I never. I was never a barista or worked at a cafe. I drank lots of coffee. Had a lot of friends that were baristas and was around coffee pretty much my whole life. But I never worked at a cafe. Like the the real way I got into coffee was started at the farm. Nice. Wow, folks, that's amazing. And bicycle. Where does the bicycle part come in? For sure. So the whole time I lived in San Francisco, I loved riding bikes. Used that as my main mode of transportation. And basically, simple concept was we, we would get the coffee from these farmers that we met in Panama, go back to the Bay Area, roast the coffee fresh, and use our bikes to deliver it to people's houses, nice. to markets. <laughs> Just sort of, we wanted to engineer a job for ourselves. We are roasting coffee and riding bikes. Nothing like, wow, folks, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive. Uh, that's an amazing story and I always love stories like that folks who started things in their garage or and it became something my brother like he started a laser engraving company in his garage now he's laser engraving things for folks all over the world so this types of stories where people start out like you did and now you have this beautiful facility you have coffee that you can buy here by the bag Buy by the cup, which I do, and you also have online as well. Yeah, we have a web store. We we you know we sell it in grocery stores. It's we sell it many different ways now. The kind of DIY spirit, the entrepreneur spirit. Yeah. That was that was a huge part of how we started in the early days. I spent a lot of time welding bike trailers that would attach oh. the back of our bikes. Okay. We still use these trailers for our, for the Grand Lake Farmers Market that we do every Saturday. Oh, okay. We still. Do yeah, I haven't been up the Grand Lake. I'll have to get up there because I usually like to visit a different farmers market every weekend. It's a good. It's a I, very popular. I haven't market. been there in a long time. Okay. We use the trailers to deliver to Monterey Market and Berkeley Bowl. Ah. The, the cases of bags of coffee that they put yes. on the shelves there. Yeah. Um, we we had made some of our early roasting machines, kind of inspired by these farmers that we yeah. met in Panama. Beautiful. What a great story. I'm amazed. So Matt, storage of coffee, Co your coffee beans. I have a coffee grinder at home. I like to grind them fresh in the morning. In the old days, I would put them in the freezer because that's what I was told to do. But now I'm told not to put them in the freezer. What is the right way to store your coffee beans at home? So the best way to store coffee beans is in its whole bean form. So you want to grind right before you brew you don't want to pre-grind right. like your the, the coffee is kind of encapsulated in its whole bean you want to keep the coffee away from oxygen so if you have some kind of airtight jar or some kind of canister that or bag that pushes out the air that's sure. ideal tupperware you want your coffee to be fresh but it can be you know a month old is fine that's still pretty fresh that's still pretty good um it can be too fresh if you if you uh, try to brew it right after, immediately after you roast it, it's, ah. not, it's not gonna taste great. 
Okay. It's, it needs to kind of off gas and mellow out. How much? How much time? About a day. Oh, okay. That's One not or two bad. days is good. Yeah, sure. Okay. Depending on how you're making it, if you're going to make espresso, you want it to be a couple days older. Some some people say a week even. And then it's not necessary to store it in the freezer. You want to just keep it keep it whole bean, keep it away from air, keep it away from sunlight. A nice room temperature, not too hot. It should should keep for several weeks well that way. That's good. So no more grinding your beans before you go to bed so that you can just pour it over in the morning. Grind them in the morning and have a nice fresh pour over because uh, you heard Matt. And here's a shameless self-promotion. There's a very old video on my YouTube channel called How to Keep Lettuce Fresh for Up to Six Weeks. It has thousands and thousands of views. And in that video, I show you a method of putting lettuce in a plastic bag and sucking all the air out of the plastic bag and tossing it in the refrigerator. So maybe you can do that with your coffee beans. Don't get them wet. Just suck the air out and store it in the uh, cupboard, kind of like your own your own personal cryovacking with a, just watch that video and you'll see how to do it. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you joining me today on Fresh from the Field Fridays. I've been wanting to do coffee for a long time and I'm glad that we we're able to do it. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. Hey folks, don't forget to tune into the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly every Monday, as well as the Produce Industry Show on YouTube and the Produce Industry app. You've got to have that. Download that now on your smartphone, on your smartwatch, on your tablet, wherever you can download an app to. And check out the History of Produce series with John Papp and the Global Fresh series with Juanita Gallio. It's all right here on the Produce Industry Podcast. And don't forget to check out my YouTube and Rumble channels called Dan the Produce Man, and all my social media can be found at DanTheProduceMan.com. Matt, real quick, before we go, what is the perfect amount of coffee for one cup? What is the perfect amount of coffee so it's not too strong, but definitely not too weak? Well, like I was saying, it's the culinary arts is subjective. So do it how it tastes good to you. But the way uh, I do it every morning in my, my house for a, for a pour over drip cup is I use about 22 grams of coffee beans. I grind it, not super fine like espresso, not super coarse, like a French press, kind of in between. Okay. I feel it in my fingers and I think of, of a beach that I know that has that kind of coarseness of sand. And use about 12 ounces of water, produces about an 11 ounce cup of coffee. And for me, that's that's just right. I don't weigh it with a scale every day. I have found a scoop that works for me that ends up yielding about that much. Do you sell those scoops here? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a, I believe it's a quarter cup. Okay, there you go. Quarter cup scoop. Yeah, but really, about 22 grams, you know, but experiment. Like, there's many ways to make coffee. The different beans have different flavor profiles. Depending on what you're going for, you might want to use more, you might want to use less. So, you know, start in that range, but experiment, because it's different. I, I like to drink my coffee black. Yeah, same here. Some people are all about milk, sugar, different kinds of milk. So really, like, experiment, try different things, try different coffees, find what you like. All right, folks, and of course, we all know that it's always tastes better when someone else makes it for some strange reason. <laughs> all right, folks, until next week, this is Dan the Produce Man reminding you that it's always best when you get it fresh.
You've been listening to Fresh from the Field Fridays with Dan, the Produce Man. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Produce Industry Podcast and at Dan, the Produce Man. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon. We'll be right back.